Romans 7, I heard a woohoo, we finally got out of Romans 6. We are blazing breakneck speed here. We need to slow down, slow down. Uh, Romans, uh, so uh, if it was up to me, I suppose we could go verse by verse and we could be years in this thing, and we're going to be years, but not as long as we might could be. But uh, hopefully what we're doing here will spur you on to desire more study uh, on your own as well. And what we have here in chapter 7 is, is a continuation. Understand, in our Bibles, you know, we go from chapter 6 to chapter 7 to chapter 8, and if we're not careful, we think that, that this book is disjointed and that, that Paul wrote it that way. This is one long letter. Those chapters and the verses and all that, they're put in there for, for you and I to be able to find uh, quicker where we are in Romans. Um, you can imagine if I got up here today and Romans was just one letter and I said, well, we're, or do you not know, brethren, you, you'd have to know Romans really well to know that, hey, we're in the middle of the letter to know where to find, to find us. And so the challenge, the good, that's good. The challenge is that we, we tend to come to these letters and we break them up. We make them real choppy. When really there's a flowing argument here that Paul is developing. There is a, a continuous argument that Paul is developing and presenting here. And chapter 7 springs from chapter 6. What we read in chapter 6, especially when he says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may increase? Even back to 5.20, the law came that the transgression would increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life. Paul is continuing this argument. He's continuing what he said at chapter 6, but having been freed from sin, verse 22, and enslaved to God. Remember, for chapter 6, we talked about that, that we were slaves to God and what that meant. You derive your benefit resulting in sanctification and the outcome eternal life. The, the main word that you, if you were to look in chapter 6, and the main word that you would see in chapter 6, would one of those words would be sin. Sin. If you were to do that same study in chapter 7, one of the main key words that you would pull away from chapter 7 is law. Law. And Paul is answering the question, he's still dealing with the question of grace, and where sin abounds, grace much more abounds, but he's dealing with it. In chapter 6, he dealt with it from, from one perspective, someone who just says, hey, well then I'm just going to do whatever I want to do, however I want to do it, and just God's grace will be shown off. That, that would be one inappropriate response to grace. But in chapter 7, Paul deals with the other end of the spectrum. And if we're honest, we tend to extremes. We tend to the pendulum to swing one way or the other. And the other end of that spectrum would be, would be what Paul deals with here in chapter 7. It's, it's looking at our doing as a means of our righteousness. Not, we would never just go sin willy-nilly and think that, that God's grace allows that. So here's what we do. We put on this false facade through our doing, and we look real pretty on the outside. And all the while, our hearts don't back up where our lives are. We, we look to sources other than Christ for our righteousness. And, and that may be the, the greater challenge facing many of us in this room 
is not leaning totally on Christ for our righteousness. And, and uh, I, uh, uh, I want to I do that today by, I want to help us to see this picture of what Paul says here, of how subtle uh, this sin can be and how really socially acceptable, if you will. It can look real good on the outside. And therefore, we kind of let it go. But you, you'll see there on your, your main point there for today, and I hope this makes sense. It could come across as a, a dud. I mean, I told Karen, I said, man, I really hope this, I really hope they get it. If they don't get it, this is going to be a long, boring sermon. Not unlike the, many of the others, some of you would say, but it's going to be worse. So, uh, main point for today Believers in dying with Christ, and that again, that was chapter 6. Paul talks about we have died with Christ and been raised with Christ. Having been, they have been severed from their bondage to the Mosaic law. Why? So that you can be bound to Christ and bear fruit for God. Many of these, many of these points, and, and the reason why I hope, you know, Paul is saying the same thing different ways. Our freedom is not that we're free in the sense that we're not bound to anything. We have been freed from sin so that we can enslave ourselves to God. And, and that's really what Paul uses in verses 1 through 3. That's the illustration he uses, right, with marriage. So if I'm joined to Karen, okay? I can, if I went and joined myself to somebody else while she is alive, I would be called a what? An adulterer. You see the point? But, but, but if Karen should die, what, then I would be free to join somebody else, right? I, I think the illustration there is clear. And yet the practical application of that into our lives sometimes is not so clear. And you'll see the, the main point, it'll say number one on there, because again, chapter 7, there's multiple, there's two or three main points, or two or three ways that Paul illustrates this, this main point, that we have been freed from the law so that we can be bound to Christ, and Christ would be our righteousness. There's, there's three or four ways that he illustrates that, and, and the first way he does that in verses 1 through 6 is through this illustration of marriage. And what he says here, and you see it in your handout, is sinners must be released from the bondage of the Mosaic law in order you're released from one, again, through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ in order to be joined to Christ. Why? Because life under the law only brings forth sin and death. But life under grace bears fruit to God. And, and again, Paul uses marriage to illustrate the point even and, and this is a point that, again, 1 Corinthians 7.39, listen to what it says. A wife is bound as long as her husband lives. But if her husband is dead, she is free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. Go back to Numbers, if you go to the Old Testament, Numbers 5, verse 29, says the same thing. A wife is bound, a husband is bound, they're bound as long as they're alive. Should they die? You're free to marry whomever you wish, and yet Paul says, only in the Lord. He, what he says there is marry a Christian. And, and, and Paul is saying, again, you can't be joined to two people at the same time. That's his point. And everybody would get that point. 
And Paul uses that to say this, you can't look to the law for your righteousness and you can't look to Christ for your righteousness at the same time. You can't, you can't. That's clearly the point. And, and verses 4 and verses 6 are, are really the key verses in this section. Therefore, verse 4, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ. Why? So that you might be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order, why? That we would bear fruit for God. You see the point. Why did die with Christ? Again, you go to chapter 6. Why did we die with Christ? So that we could be joined to another. We would be free to join another. Verse 6. And, and here in verse 6, keep in mind, Paul kind of tips his hat to where he's going in, verse, in chapter 8. And, and it's very easy for us to jump ahead and, 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 and hurry, as Clay would say, hurry to chapter 8. You know, we, 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 what's the answer, Chris? You're, you're saying, what's the answer? Paul will tell you the answer in chapter 8. But just like we spent a lot of weeks in Romans 1, 18 through 320, talking about sin and that the, the, the wrath of God was justi justified toward us, and we're saying hurry up and get to 321 so we can hear the solution. You won't understand the solution unless you understand the problem. And unless we sit under the issue of the, of the inability of ourselves, unless we sit there for a little while, we will not appreciate Romans 8.1 when Paul says, For now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because listen, if you look to the law for your righteousness, we're going to see it today, the only verdict that will be rendered to you is condemnation. It doesn't matter how well you obey it. You, you break one point of it, James 2 says. If you're guilty of one point, you're guilty of breaking the whole thing. Condemnation. That's the challenge. We've got to be delivered from that. And, and what Paul means, you see it on your hand now, when he says that we're not bound to the Mosaic law, but to Christ in, in faith, is that we look away from the law and we look to Christ for our righteous standing before God. In Christ, we have an, a, a union, a spiritual union that is all-glorious, all-providing, all-satisfying with a real, living person. It's not just a bunch of letters that are written on a stone. It's a relationship with a person. And the aim of this joining is what? That you bear fruit for God. You see how that ties into what Paul is saying? God did not lavish His grace upon you, shower His grace upon you, and forgive you of your sin and your condemnation so that you would go on sinning. He saved you and adopted you and took you into His home and His family so that you might bear fruit for Him. You see how it ties into his argument? You don't go on sinning. If you're in Christ, if you've been justified, you've been married to Jesus... You leave that and you join yourself here. New desires, new attitudes, new choices. And again, being set free from the law, it doesn't mean freedom 
from love. It doesn't mean freedom from justice. It doesn't mean freedom from obedience. It means that you're free to marry the one who is obedience. It means you're free to marry the one who is love. You're free now to marry the one who is justice. That, you see the point? And, and, and what God does, and what we'll get at in, in Romans 8 especially, but he tips his hat here, God produces those things in you through the Spirit, through the inside out, not the outside in. Through the Spirit. Whether it's Romans 8, whether it's Galatians 5, walk by the Spirit, and you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. The fruit of the flesh is all those things in 519 that we see in our lives. That's what our flesh produces on its own. And we've been joined to Christ in order to produce fruit for God. But how we do that is the key. How we approach that is the key. And, and is it a natural outworking of a life bound to Christ? Or is it through self-effort? And, and again, you see the difference. Looking to, Christ, looking to the law and looking to Christ may produce the same things, but how they're produced will be different. How they come about will be different. And what Paul is getting at and what all the scriptures get at about the law is that we, you see it in your handout, we have to be delivered. We are looking to Christ and not the law for our righteous standing and guidance. And we have to be delivered, you see it on your handout, in a, in a few ways. Delivered from the Mosaic law as a means of acceptance before God. You've got to be delivered from that. As a, and not only acceptance, as a means of worth before God. But, but also as a source of our identity before God. And lastly, as a source of our righteousness before God. Again, what Paul is saying here, he's answering the same question that he, that he opposed in 6.1 and 6.15. He's answering them from a different angle. How will a believer live if they're not under the law? How will they live? What does it truly mean that we're not under the law? And, and Paul is saying, we've got to be dead to this outward religious system of works as a means of our justification. We've got to be dead to this outwardness. All throughout Jesus' ministry with the Pharisees, what did he fight? The outward, external, mere appearance of righteousness versus true heart change. And, and this is where this thing is going to get real sideways this morning if this doesn't stick. And I, I hope it sticks. This week I thought about, as I was just praying through this and, and explaining this, because I, I desperately want us to get it, because I, I believe that what Paul deals with here, and, and again, Paul, even in his own life, you'll get to it, we'll get to it a little bit. I believe this is the battle you and I face today. Where, where are we going to find our righteousness? We, we, I know we'll say Christ and all that, but, but our works, how are they being produced? And the question that I want us to ponder this morning as we, as we look at this is, here's the question. Is my life and my pursuit of righteousness more like a Christmas tree or more like a fruit tree? 
is my life a Christmas tree or is my life a fruit tree? And, and, and here's what I mean by that. I think when Paul says that we've got to be dead to the law as a way of righteousness, I think he's saying that what we must be dead to is a way of life that's similar to decorating a Christmas tree. We hang all these ornaments of good works on our lives and we decorate our lives all fancy. But listen, the tree is artificial. The tree that the ornaments are hanging on is dead. If it's not all the way dead, it's dying. I, I, we, we have artificial trees in our house because we don't, we don't need to clean up the little limbs that fall off the whole time, but you get the point. And not only that, everything, everything about the Christmas tree depends on you and I. The tree didn't produce the ornaments. We did. We, therefore, we get all the glory, not the tree. And what Paul says here is that when we live like this, the ultimate outcome is death. Listen, it's not real. It's, it's not produced by the tree. It's not even connected to the tree. They're just hanging on the tree. And in John 15, Jesus likens our lives to, to, to fruitful vines and to fruitful trees. And he says, you, you're, you're simply the branch, Christian. I'm the vine, he says. I produce the fruit. You, you think about a fruit tree. The fruit on a fruit tree is real. But who produced the fruit? The tree did. The branches simply show it off. But the, tr the fruit is a real part of the tree. It's not just hanging there artificial. And, and what's the... What's the and all, listen, all a tree has to do to bear fruit is do what? Stay connected to the ground. Abide in the ground, right? Isn't that kind of what Jesus said? Abide in me and you'll do what? Produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. I think they're similar to what Paul is saying here. And you say, do nothing, Chris, but my life is full of somethings. They're artificial. The challenge is they can be artificial. We can be real busy doing a lot of things and it be dead fruit. Go to 1 Corinthians 3. We can be real good at building up our lives, but we're building it with wood, hay, and stubble that burns away and it doesn't last. And I think the bigger threat for us is to look. It's not sinning rampantly without care as Paul dealt with maybe in verse 6. I think it's seven is the more dangerous temptation, more temptation for us and, and where we've taken God's grace. And my fear is, is that we in the Christian community are really good at decorating our lives with works of the law and really good at eternal, at externally rather looking righteous. We look great on the outside. We're beautiful. The challenge is, that the easy temptation is, is that we become beautiful, artificial trees whose man-made works are dead because they're not produced by God. But they're by, they're, we did them. And the ornaments that hang all over, all over our lives and that make us look real pretty, they're in not any way connected to a heart. 
right? You can, look, you, you can do all these great things and it have no flow from your heart. Your heart not really be changed. I mean, you can hate Christmas and still put a beautiful tree in your living room, right? You can hate it. Matter of fact, you can hate decorating the tree, but the rest of your family loves it, and so you join in and you decorate it and you hate it the whole time. And, and the challenge is this. When our works are like decorations on a Christmas tree... There's no real life behind them. Why? Because they're self-generated works. Ultimately, they're for our glory. Listen, I guarantee you in our homes, there are trees in our homes that are decorated simply so your friends will come over and gawk at your tree. Oh, look at what a beautiful tree such and such put together. Is that the point? They're, but they're not, they're not organically connected. The, 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 those ornaments aren't natural overflows of our lives that are connected to Christ. And if we're honest, it becomes wearisome to keep them hanging. And, and, if, we're, and if we're not careful, even in a, in a real illustration, we become more concerned about the ornament and our kids not taking down that expensive ornament and knocking it off and breaking it than we do about Christmas. Christmas becomes, did we make it through with all our ornaments? Versus did we really enjoy the spirit of Christmas? And, and our lives become more centered on externally looking good and looking decorated and looking put together and looking beautiful versus centered on abiding in Christ. And, and when we try to imitate God and His holiness in our own strength, constantly hanging ornaments all over our lives so that we look righteous, let's be honest, that's wearisome. That's burdensome. Tiresome. And, and you can see how, I hope you see how this relates to chapter 6 and, and to chapter 7 of how if we're not careful, we can allow sin to reign in our lives and it will look differently. One looks real ugly, maybe chapter 6, but one looks real pretty in chapter 7 and both are sin. Both are abuse of grace. One is not caring and living however you want to live. The other might be that we decorate our lives beautifully with good works that our hearts really don't care about artificially trying to imitate God and live the Christian life in our strength through good works. And, and, and I, it's, uh, Friday, I was in our yard. We have this bush that's next to the air conditioner, and it grows very rapidly, and it infringes on the air conditioner, and I kept trying to cut it back until finally I just said, we're going to cut this thing back to nothing, and we're going to start over. And, and, I, and I called Bradley out to come help, and Bradley said, Dad, the thing looked beautiful. What are you doing? Why would you cut it back? I said, because it wasn't healthy. It looked pretty, but it wasn't healthy. So we had this long conversation about pruning, and we had this long conversation about how, you know what, this thing is going to look ugly for a little while, but it's going to be prettier in the long run. Sometimes that's the way it is about our lives if we're really chasing after Jesus. Sometimes dealing with sin and the effects of sin, it looks real ugly for a little while. But see, I could have just left the tree alone because it looked pretty. 
See, here's, here's what I also know about Christmas trees. You don't have to prune a Christmas tree, especially an artificial one, right? It stays the same. It always looks pretty. It's easy. It's low maintenance. Is that ri- that, but that's not real life. Because real life is, is ugly. I, I was reminded of this just the other day. Katie Finkley sent me that article, Life is Messy. That's real life. Artificial, pretty artificial Christmas trees, you know what? They're not messy. They don't leave a mess. They, 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 they're nothing. They, you said it one time and you forget it. You don't have to cultivate it. You don't have to keep it. You don't have to water it. You don't have to nourish it. You don't have to. And now they make artificial trees that even come with the lights already on them. And listen, the issue is this. Again, a Christmas tree. Where am I on my notes? The, The issue is this. No matter how hard. Again, when we're looking to our doing for our righteousness, when it's all about us, here's what we're saying, that Christ isn't sufficient. It's all about us. And that's where Paul is saying, all of us in here are tempted to go back to the law and check off a bunch of things that we're doing and then say, I'm righteous. Versus trusting in Jesus Christ. Cultivating a life daily that is nurtured and nourished by Jesus Christ through the word and prayer and all these things. It's versus the temptation is go buy, go get the Christmas tree, get it set and just leave it in the corner. And look like we enjoy Christmas. And, and the challenge is this again, the reason why Paul is saying Do not look to the law for your righteousness. No matter how hard we try to obey, no matter how many times we get it right, no matter how many times we do obey, no matter how beautifully we decorate our lives with works and such, listen, they eventually fall off because we can't keep the game up forever. We can't be perfect. Listen, the bad days are coming, life's coming. And if the, good, the issue with good works in establishing our righteousness is that eventually we miss the mark. And here's what the law says. When you miss the mark, even once, the result is condemnation. Total condemnation. And you see that in our handout, looking to the Mosaic law for our righteousness always ends in condemnation. That's Galatians 3.13. That's the curse of the law. You break one law out of all of them, you die. It's an all-or-nothing deal. And all this does is lead to more frustration. Why? Because we continually fail. We continually fall short. And when we try to live on our own strength, sin wins out. It wins. It beats us. When we try to, on our own and in our own strength, imitate God, eventually we fall short. And Paul is saying, you've got to die to the law, and you've got to be joined. You've got to rely totally on Christ. Totally on Christ. You can't have it both ways. And again, back to a Christmas tree for a minute. You know, a Christmas tree and its decorations, it's all about us. 
We get to decide what we put on the tree, when we put on the tree, where we put it on the tree, what gets hung, where it gets hung, why it gets hung. Our kids try to help out. No, no, don't, don't put that there. They try, no, no, don't, don't put that there. Then you sit back and you say, oh, well, uh, there's a bare spot. We need to hang an ornament there. And there's a bare spot and we need to hang an ornament there. My fear is, is that that's how we end up living our Christian lives. We look back and we see a bare spot and we're like, I need to go on a missions trip. Oh, I got a bare spot. I need to go read the Bible. I got a bare spot. Oh, I need to go pray. I got a bare spot. Oh, I need to go do this. That's how we end up painting the picture of Christian life to, a, to, the, to the world around us. As opposed to the fruit tree. You know what the fruit tree does? The fruit tree just grows roots way down deep in the soil. And you trust the soil. And, and you, we can't look to the law. You know, God determines when and where and why and the seasons of a fruit tree. The fruit tree's job is to abide in the soil. And God decorates the fruit tree however he sees fit. The farmer works, again, but ultimately it is up to God to see fit. We abide, we marry ourselves, as Paul says, to, to God through Christ. We seek his glory and he adorns us with whatever he sees fit. And the challenge is, you think about Paul's own life. What did God adorn his life with? Suffering. Shipwrecks, heartaches, imprisonments, beatings. Those are the ornaments on Paul's life. Weakness. And, and Paul is saying, join yourselves to Christ Find your sufficiency and your sustenance in Christ. And, and beyond that, beyond that, what Paul is getting at here is this, and you see the handout, looking to the Mosaic law does nothing to defeat our sin, ultimately. It, when we'll look at it next week, and he'll say the law actually does the opposite. It stimulates sin. Why? Because the law does nothing about a person's heart. That's where sin is birthed. Go to James 1. Go to James 4. Sin is birthed in our heart. The issue is our hearts are desperately wicked. See Jeremiah 17, 9. And we think that we can break it through with through good works. And so here's what happened. Like I said, we have a bare spot, we have a hole, and we think we'll just fill it with something. Oh, I'll do good works. And it's all about us. And the issue all along is that our hearts haven't changed. The issue is not we're, not we're not doing it for the glory of God. Namely, God's not the one doing it through us. That's what he says in verse 6. Again, this newness that he offers is, is the spirit-generated life, not this external old letter. It's a new heart. Why? Because the law can't defeat sin. And every, every time, if we're not, every time when we're looking at, we, we end up with these bare spots, we end up with these areas where we fall short, and we think we can just keep filling the bare spots with more stuff. We'll just, hey, just put more decorations on the tree. That's the solution. Let's just put a whole bunch more decorations on the tree. All the while, the tree's dead. You see the point? The tree is dead. 
You're decorating a dead tree. And, and they're always, again, they're all, never mind, and this is a whole other sermon, if you will, but we decorate our lives with things that bring us glory versus what God chooses to decorate our lives with. We hide behind these facades of success and happiness and well-put-togetherness because that makes, that makes us look great. These are the decorations that we put on the tree. Whereas, again, God oftentimes decorates our lives with weakness, struggle, because those are the things that make Him look great. And until Christ becomes our all in all, until we go all in, with Christ, all in joined, we're going to exhaust ourselves with, with putting up these facades and putting up beautiful but fake trees before everyone, and we'll think that's church. And we'll never bind ourselves to the all-sufficient, all-glorious, all-satisfying Savior. We won't need to because everyone will think we're beautiful, and we'll think we're okay. We'll never experience the joy of truly abiding in Christ and bearing, as he says, chapter, verse 4, fruit that lasts. And, and worse yet, our lives and our gatherings become places where nobody will share their hurts. No, nobody's going to come out and say life stinks. Nobody's going to come out and say their struggles. Why? Because everybody else is decorated beautifully and they don't want to be that one person. When the reality is it's facades. A lot of times. And we become scared to, have, to look messy, scared to have bare spots, because again, trusting Christ totally, being all in in Christ, requires faith. And it may leave bare spots. It may leave wounds. It may leave scars. All the things that Paul talks about. But, but we'll come in here and we'll look pretty as artificial trees look. And we'll miss the, jo the joy of rejoicing with one another and weeping one another. Why? Because we're afraid to expose ourselves. And we're so busy decorating our, tree, our own tree that we don't have time for other people. Interestingly enough, again, fruit trees, another side note, fruit trees feed other people. You never notice that? Nobody gets nourished off a fake artificial Christmas tree unless you steal somebody's ornament that looks good on your tree. Fruit trees nourish others. Fruit trees are places where others come to get nourished. And, and the question becomes, who's your life feeding? Who's your life nourishing? And, and if we're all like Christmas trees... If, if we promote or okay with this external form of Christianity, we're gonna, we'll create ministries that support this. We'll create ministries that encourage this. We'll decorate our gathered body here with well-put-together ministries, with professionals, and, and we'll never, ever equip people to really deal with life, to really handle the bare spots. Why? Because we hide them. We're not honest about them. We'll never teach each other how, how the Word talks about to deal with hurts and, and to deal with the messy and to deal with one another's sins and to get along with one another in the mess and, again, to rejoice and, and weep and all those things. Why? Because we show up and we're just perfectly put together and appear to have no need for one another. And that's just not true. 
We'll never get messy. You know, we'll look like that tree that we put in the fellowship hall where we put a fence around it. Just don't, don't, don't go near it. And, and, and I hope this is, I hope this is, I hope you're seeing how, how we do this in our own lives. With facades, with externals, with busyness. You know, we'll never deal with one another's heart. We'll never learn with one another that Christ is sufficient. We don't need Him to be sufficient because we're perfectly decorated already. We'll never get messy. We'll never hurt with one another. We'll never admit that sometimes we suffer, that sometimes life doesn't go right, that sometimes, listen, we do everything right and don't get the results that we think we deserve. That's, that's living in a sinful world, but that's why Christ is sufficient. We'll never admit that, that sometimes godly people suffer. Sometimes it's ugly. Sometimes we have bare spots. And, and that leaves us exposed. And our life doesn't look all pretty. And it's like, oh, Chris doesn't have it together. Listen, I'll let the cat out of the bag. Chris don't have it all together. And, and even as I was preparing this, I mean, of all the weeks, of all the times in God's sovereignty, and Karen and I have been talking about this, and and we're a part of, many of you are part of Safe Families. They're like, man, we haven't got a lot of calls from Safe Families and dot-dot-dot. And what's going on there? We're talking about it. And then Friday, Friday, Safe Family calls and says, hey, there's, there's two kids that need a home. When? Monday. Hello, Monday is the first day of school. Listen, we've got our lives all decorated. We've got everything right where we want it to be. Hold on. So we said, bring him. Bring the boy. And Karen and I said ourselves, listen, there's never a convenient time to bring a one-year-old to rob you of your sleep. Listen, there's never going to be a convenient time. Right? And here's the temptation. No, no, we got our tree decorated. We don't need any more ornaments. We got our tree decorated. We don't need, any, we don't need that. You know, what, you know what a one-year-old running around my house would do? Is you carry the illustration out? They're probably going to pull those ornaments off the tree. And that little one-year-old may create some bare spots. You know what he's going to do? God's going to use him just to expose, expose me for who I am. Expose my heart. And, and I'm grateful. That, that's why I was reminded of your article at the right time, Katie. It was just right at the time we're talking about that, Katie. God sends me that article through Katie. And I don't say that for me. I simply say that to encourage because, listen, Karen and I are just one of many families. Our feet, I'll be, our feet are in the shallow end of the pool. Many of you guys are in the deep end of the pool, way beyond us. But the question becomes, what are we going to decorate ourselves with? What are we going to see really a fruit for God? Is it going to be things that pain us and cost us and, and inconvenience us, but are really rooted in the Word of God, i.e. taking care of widows and orphans that are distressed? Or are we going to be a church who decorates ourselves with stuff that looks good for us and it's easy for us and everybody says, hey, those guys are pretty. And all the while our hearts do not love the Lord. That's the challenge. That's the challenge. Our lives can look real pretty and we don't love the Lord. Full of stuff, full of ornaments hanging all over the tree. 
and the tree is dying. That's exactly what Jesus talks about in Matthew 5 through 7 with the Pharisees. They had lots of stuff, they had lots of ornaments hanging on their tree, but their hearts were far from the Savior. They were leaning on the wrong thing for their righteousness, the law. And, and the very, the messiness, listen, the messiness of life, the messiness of dealing with sin, of doing life together and learning how to get along with one another in the spite of our sinfulness is the very thing God has called us to do. The reason why that's hard is because it requires His grace to be sufficient. The reason why bringing a child into our home is hard is because it's going to require God's grace to be sufficient. And Karen is, you know, wisely saying, well, what about this? What about this? You know, now our calendar is getting all interrupted. Well, let's figure it out. Because this is what God's called us to do. I mean, the grace of God in messiness, the grace in God of making mistakes, the grace in God of doing it together, even the grace of God in learning to rely on somebody else. That's hard. And Chad and I were talking about it, and he's like, we don't need meals. Bro, we're going to bring you meals. They, they just got approved to adopt a little, what, three-month-old boy. And Katie, Katie Finkley, again, this sermon, we'll call it Katie Finkley, it arranges these wraparound care ministries. But, but listen, the joy, one of the greatest joys of my life is pastoring a church where there's six or seven of these wraparound care ministries where we get to go around and help people who are fostering and adopted. That's ministry. Not sitting in our homes, looking all pretty, life being clean, life being interrupted, life being convenient, but getting involved with one another. Having the joy of somebody call and say, listen, I'm in a bind. I need somebody at my house from two to four. Let's go get it. Let's help them. That's, that's God-generated righteousness. And, and you see it in your hand that when we join ourselves to Christ, we begin to bear fruit for God organically, naturally, because it's the Spirit doing it in us. We want to obey. We don't have to obey. We want to obey. We don't have to go to this old letter and say, no, no, we want to, because there's a new Spirit in us. We understand that, again, that we're in this new covenant, as, as 2 Corinthians 3 talks about, that, that Christ's blood inaugurated. And, and we've said it, but again, this is Jeremiah 30, this is what he promised in Jeremiah 31 and Ezekiel 36. He says in Ezekiel 36, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you, see that cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. What does that? The spirit. That's exactly what Paul says in verse 6. I will put my spirit in you. We will serve in the newness of the spirit, not the oldness of letter. In Romans 8, again, he says, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The challenge is, is we can grieve and we can quench that spirit to where it's not the powerful force to defeat sin and to guide and direct like God has given it to us. And that's where we said that comes from the Word richly dwelling in us. And this Word becomes a delight, not a duty. 
And you see it on your handout. This is why Paul can say that God's grace doesn't produce rampant sin. You see it on your handout. God's grace through salvation actually produces love, not lawlessness. Because Christ is sufficient. And I'm a challenge, and I think what Paul is getting at here, even in Philippians 3, we've seen it, so, but it's so true when Paul says, all these things that I did, they're garbage. Here's what I treasure, knowing Christ. All these things in the flesh that I did, in regard to the law, perfect. Zeal for God, Pharisee. But he realized he had missed the mark. And my challenge is, God is not interested in this gathering of believers being a bunch of Christmas trees with pretty decorations hung all over them by ourselves at our direction and for our glory. I think he's looking for a bunch of believers that abide in him and allow him to do whatever he wants to do through our lives so that he gets the glory. And a bunch of people whose lives say that we are totally insufficient, but here's the answer. God is totally sufficient. We can bear a lot. Listen, we can put a lot of fruit on the tree. We can hang a lot of decorations on the tree. Paul says they'll be dead if they're not spirit-generated. If we want to bear real fruit for God, it's going to come from abiding in Christ, just like that fruit tree does. It'll, that's why there's a tree on our sign. That's, I, I go back to Psalm 1. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water that yields its fruit. That's what we're to be. Christ is the water. You go to Isaiah 61.3, God desires that we be oaks of righteousness. Not, not decorated, not pretty decorated Christmas trees. And, and we have been freed from, we have been freed from, the, from the condemnation of the law, freed from the, of, of, of sin and its condemnation. And Paul is saying, stay in Christ. Abide in Christ for our righteousness. Don't, 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 give, don't be content with just hanging artificial, man-generated fruit on our lives and looking good on the outside. And you see it in handout. He's seeking that believers be delivered from the bondage of the law, which only brings about condemnation and does nothing to defeat sin in order that we be bound to Christ. He's saying, lean on Jesus Christ completely for your standing before God, not artificial external works. And, and clearly in the Word, listen, the challenge is, is that that self-righteous life of the Christmas tree and the, the fruit, the real godly life of the fruit tree, they can have a lot of the same things hanging on the limbs. It's just who put them there, right? The difference between who decorated the tree. We'll do a lot of the same things. The issue becomes who put them there. Who generated them? And for whose glory were they generated? 
Again, it's not like we're not lawless. You, you look at Galatians 6, you look all throughout. The covenant comes, with obedience is required. But you'll see it in your hand, our, our new relationship with Christ enables and requires us to bring about in our lives what glorifies God. It enables and it requires. I probably should reverse those. It requires and it also enables. But and What Paul is getting at, I believe, is that we make much of God by obeying not for our righteousness, but because of our righteousness, right? Big difference. We serve by loving God and others. So, so ask yourself this morning, is it possible that though you've been joined to Christ, you're looking to other things for your righteousness? Is it possible that what was began with the Spirit, as the Bible says, you've tried to perfect with the flesh. Does, does a love for God and a love for others mark your life? In, in your life right now as a believer, is your life more like an artificial Christmas tree that you've decorated with stuff that makes you look great, or is your life more like a fruit tree where you're trusting God for everything? Highs, lows, bare spots. Are, are you bearing fruit that truly lasts? And, and, and where might this be an indicator that you're trusting for your righteousness? What are you really leaning on as you're standing before God? Christ or law? Christ or maybe a little bit of both? God desires that we be fruit trees, that He nourishes and that He satisfies. Not beautiful, artificially de self-decorated Christmas trees that, that do not really bear fruit. Amen? And I, and I hope that illustration, you know, was true to the text and true to where we're getting at, even in verse 7. The, the challenge that though we're joined to Christ, we can go back and look to the law as our standing, and Christ is sufficient. Christ is sufficient. And Christ's death, listen, freed us from the bondage of the law so that we could be totally joined to Christ. Enjoy that union. Enjoy that marriage. Enjoy that union with Christ for all it's worth. And when you do that, you'll experience real fruit. Real fruit. 